0: This podcast could potentially have adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly the possibility of sexual content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello,
1: Drinking With Authors fans. We have some pretty big news from your host here, Erica Lance. We are moving to change the format of the show to be one episode. So there's a few episodes that record the old way that we're doing the new way. And that's what you're listening to. So thank you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And we love having you as fans. On to the show. Welcome to Drinking With Authors. I'm your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is the fantabulous, jumped in at the last minute, J.M. Paquette. And our guest today is Evan Graham. Welcome.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. Okay, let's talk a little bit about what we're drinking. So I am drinking um, the last I have of, uh, because it's made in Tennessee. I suppose I could figure out where to get it, but my daughter got it for me in Clarksville, Tennessee, because the winery is there. Beach Haven Vineyards um, Blackberry. And I just realized it's named Beach Haven, and it's in Clarksville, Tennessee, so that's a now that I'm analyzing that way too much, it's a weird name. Okay, uh, uh, Jen, what are you going to be drinking in moments since you jumped in at the very last second here? For I'm,
0: I'm going to be drinking a cup of tea of unknown variety or vintage because the water is still boiling. So I like it. I like it.
1: <laughs> Who knows? It's up for grabs. <laughs> Evan, what are you drinking?
2: Mine is an ungodly concoction I've created of my own volition that is non-alcoholic, but no less unhinged uh it's mostly Mountain Dew uh voltage but with a little bit of ginger extract and a squirt of lemon I call it a synaptic override
1: (laughs) I love it hold up that glass so people it's so pretty it's beautiful it's blue and I love the fact that you somehow tried to make Mountain Dew like healthy in some
2: way yeah it feels like fruit in it.
0: it it's a Douglas Adams
2: drink it, yes, it's like getting smashed in the head with a gold brick with a lemon and stuff. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I love that. Well done, Jen. Well done. Callback on that. What is that? A pangalactic
0: gargle, gar- blaster. gargle blaster.
1: Yeah. Okay. Oh, look at all of us nerds go. Woo-hoo! Yes. Nerds. nerds unite. Okay, Evan. Um, for the audience at large, what do you write?
2: I write, uh, hard science fiction thrillers. I sort of, uh, kind of halfway between like the alien movies and like, uh, like 2001, a space odyssey. I like to say kind of like in, in that vein of like dark and scary, but also kind of focusing on like the mystery and the intrigue of the unknown that that's my whole shtick i my novel uh of Steps*, came out last september that's my debut novel but i've also written for soon to be five short stories in a, a series that's called uh the calling void that are it's an anthology series that all kind of has that same kind of dark hard sci-fi tone to it
0: so oh, i can't do all your stories take place in the same world? Like, is there, you know, some sort of overall command structure and then you do the exploratory teams? Is that how you
2: kind of, uh, it, it all takes place in the same universe. So it's like, it shares the same world building. It's set in kind of a middling to far off future of like roughly about 150 years into our future. Um, there was a big, cataclysm that basically happened called the Corsica event. That's one of the like prime things that happens in the the history of the series that happens towards the end of the 21st century where a AI goes rogue and the singularity occurs and it starts to self-evolve and it becomes basically a machine God. And part of its evolution is like this global cataclysm and it takes us decades to recover from it. So that's kind of the backdrop for my story. Like, we kind of rebuild from that to a degree. We get uh, new technologies from reverse engineering the constructs that this rogue AI built, and uh, that's how we're able to like travel faster than light, like, go to different planets and stuff. So it follows different stories of different characters as they kind of venture out into this world. Um, you have different stories set on different planets with different casts of characters, but there's like, common references, like, pretty much all of them reference the Corsica event at some point. Um, Several planets are referenced, but kind of my goal for the whole series is that you can jump into it anywhere you want and not be missing anything. So, if you decide you only want to read, like, one or two of them, you can. If you decide you want to read them in whatever order you want, you, like, you can. Like, Each story is pretty well self-contained, but there is a kind of a reward. If you read all of them, like you'll see how certain threads cross from one to another. So you can do it either way.
1: Cool, Very cool. Okay. So I have to ask the Scooby-Doo go back in time question. That's what I call it. Um, And I got to see Matthew Lillard the other weekend. So I think this is like a symbiotic thing. Um, what so this is your debut novel. When did you actually start writing?
2: Uh I've written on a continuum. Uh I've I started writing, if you want to call it that, when I was a kid. Like
1: Oh no, we call it that. Our creative yeah. choices begin somewhere. So yeah.
2: I I desire for those stories to never be read by anyone, uh, but I've been writing pretty consistently since I was. 13 14 years old and like i i've definitely like built on my past but Tantalus steps was something i started writing in my senior year of college so that was a long time ago uh that was the first time i wrote anything that i felt deserved to be actually published so that one has been in development for Uh, years and years and years. Like I started writing it back in 2012 and it just kind of coalesced over time. But like I wrote several short stories while I was developing it. So that's kind of how I've started to establish myself as a writer. Okay.
1: So I, First of all, we will go, obviously, um, rummage through your parents' house and find these rogue stories so that we can make sure they do see the light of day. I'm just kidding. We've all written stories like that, that you never see the light of day. But at the same time, we had to start somewhere. And it's better we wrote them then than we were writing them now. It's true. And having to start. So um, has it always been sci-fi for you, though?
2: Not always. Uh I'd say it's always been speculative fiction. Mm-hmm. My very first uh, actual attempt at writing a novel, I was writing a Lord of the Rings fan fiction. I was well, probably 11. Well, our, our friend
1: JM here is a Tolkienologist or some ridiculous name that I, can, <laughs> I don't even know is a thing for the record. I don't know what that is. It was pretty I know, ambitious.
2: I just... Like, I, it was about, like, a a pair of spider hunting mercenaries who worked for Thranduil killing spiders in Mirkwood forest and it involved them tracing down, uh, Ungoliant who had revived in the Southern lands. So I incorporated some Silmarillion stuff in there too.
1: Yes. Love it. That's fantastic. I like it. Um, so Uh, did you ever publish this please tell me you put it somewhere
2: it it's gone unfortunately I was so mad it was my first real experience of writer's heartbreak because I didn't have it backed up in the computer it was on crashed and I lost like 50 pages of it and I was so brokenhearted that I just never ever attempted it again
1: yeah see I've done that We've all had that
2: happen I've had that happen a few different times, but that was the first time it happened and really crushed my soul.
0: You could take those two characters, your spider hunters, and just put (laughs) them on an alien planet.
2: I've definitely recycled some characters in in similar ways to that. Like I take bits that I like and I'm like, I'm going to keep this.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Wow. Um, Okay, so uh, when did you then venture into the sci-fi realm?
2: Sci-fi has always been kind of more my thing overall. Like, I love sci-fi and fantasy alike, but I was always a bigger sci-fi fan. Uh, I got my start, actually, uh, with comic books, where I would write comic books with my dad, and they were pretty much always Star Wars comic books. And like originally, like it started, I just wanted to draw pictures because I just was really into drawing at that time. And my dad would write like the the comic balloons and everything and the like the captions and everything. And I would just draw the pictures that went with them. I think eventually he just got tired of doing that because he was like, why don't you try writing your own and then drawing the pictures? So I started doing that. And then I kept doing that for a while. And then eventually my dad was like, why don't you try writing something that's not Star Wars? And I was like, oh, okay. So then I started doing not Star Wars uh, comics, which were very Star Wars, just without actual Star Wars content. Okay. Stylistically and everything it was very Star Wars-esque. But that was how I started gradually kind of weaning myself off of writing fan fiction and writing original fiction. And eventually I started writing without needing there to be pictures associated with it which is, I mean, comics are a perfectly legitimate art form and, and form of literature, but I eventually realized there were things I could do better in long-form text. And that's kind of where I just ended up.
1: Very cool. Okay, so when did you write your first novel? Like, was this a pandemic novel?
2: Uh, it was not. It was actually, Tantalus Steps was originally a class assignment, Uh, It started off as just a a basic creative writing assignment. It was just supposed to be write, I don't know, probably like a dozen pages of a story idea from a character whose point of view is unlike your own. And so that was kind of where I got the idea to write a story where the protagonist was a a woman because I wanted to explore uh, a different point of view for that assignment And then I liked the idea I had for that so much that I used it again as the like big final project for that creative writing class. And I got pretty far into it. Like it had to be like a short story for that assignment or like the first couple chapters of a book. And I originally wanted it to be a short story, but as I went on, it became very clear that it was gonna end up being a full novel and was just gonna be the first few chapters of it. And so I, I got a few chapters into it and the class ended. I got my grade for it. It was a pretty good grade, as I remember. But the book wasn't done and it just sat there for a while because I I had more ideas for it. I really wanted to finish it, but I lost motivation when there wasn't a grade attached to it. And then like two years later, during my final like my senior year of college, in order to fulfill my writing minor, Uh, I had to do like an independent study kind of a thing where I just wrote a book and I met with the same professor, Dr. Bowles, who helped me in that first creative writing class. I was like, what if I finish this book for my senior project? And she was like, let's do it. And we did. And I have to give her credit because she was the one who told me I should go about publishing it. And I eventually did.
1: So how did you publish it?
2: I found my publisher, Inkshares, um, in 2016. They were doing a uh, contest with Geek and Sundry, uh-huh. uh, and it was basically their whole publishing model is kind of a crowdfunding-based model. Like if you you like set your book up, you have like a page on the website for your book and everything like that, and you launch a campaign for it and then you sell pre-orders of it okay and if you get 750 pre-orders they give you a publishing deal that's kind of how they do quality control rather than working with literary agents it's like if you can generate this much interest in a book it's worth publishing so i joined that contest where it was supposed to be like the the top three uh finalists would just get the publishing deal whether they had 750 pre-orders or not And I came in fifth place, so I didn't get it in the contest. But by that point, I'd come far enough. I was like, I'm just going to go the rest of the way. And I did.
1: Wow. Very cool. Very, very cool. Are they the ones publishing your short stories as well?
2: They are not. Although um, my short stories are published through a a collective uh, kind of a publishing group of authors who work together to publish and, and promote our work
0: and okay. it's called
2: writing block a uh, block with a bloc uh and we most of us met through that publishing process with Inkshares. like the way the whole crowdfunding thing works there's a, a tendency for a lot of um networking that just happens through the process of I'm trying to get pre-orders for my book. You're trying to get pre-orders for your book. How can we help each other out? And formed a pretty tight community through that process that most of us are still working with each other a lot today.
1: Very cool. Um, oh, my God. My brain just froze. I just had wine brain, Jen. Wine <laughs> brain just occurred.
0: Um,
1: oh, So when? Did, so what was the exact release date of your first book?
2: September 27th, 2023,
1: 22. Okay. And so what was it like to get that in your hands?
2: It was surreal. Um, I actually got it in my hands a couple of weeks before that. My publisher sent me some uh, early copies and it took me, like, like I said, I funded it in 2016 and it came out in 2020. So it was in development for six full years. I went through so many different development edits and copy edits and just, it was just in development hell forever. And it was starting to feel like it really wasn't ever going to happen. Okay. So when I finally got my first copy of the book in the mail and was able to like touch it and like flip through the pages, just get that new book smell and know it was mine. Like that was absolutely surreal. Um. And uh, another big first for me that was even bigger than that, I think, was the audiobook, which is narrated by the incredibly talented Andy Arndt, on Audible. Um, that came out the same day as the as the book itself. And when I listened to that audiobook for the very first time, hearing it narrated by a professional and acclaimed audiobook narrator. Just hearing my words read that way was absolutely life-changing, just completely mind-blowing.
1: I love that you said that, because I think that a lot of authors sort of vacillate on listening to their books on audio. I think it depends on one's personality type, what kind of author they are, that sort of thing, because... I know some authors like I actually re listen to my audiobooks and my series because it's an easy way for me when I go because I'm not a research person like both of you on this call. JM does a lot more research than me. I just sort of wing it. And but I write real life stuff, like not not nonfiction, but I put it in like the current world. So it's not a lot of research I have to do. I have to look up a club name. Google it, throw it in there. The world's, I'm never, not mentioning that club again. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Or just make one up because that sort of thing. But um, so I listened to them for that purpose. Cause it really helps me to um, remember where I was at and start the next book and hopefully not piss off my editor too much. But um, I know some people who just can't stand it or they hear every error they made mm-hmm. while they're listening to the audio book. Did you encounter any of that or were you just, yeah. That JM raised her She's like, yeah, because we we we, you know, I talked to one author who heard her timeline screw up in her mm. book, you know, where it was so far along, it wasn't like so huge. And I don't think any reader would have been like, Oh my gosh. Well, sorry, let me take that back. There are some readers that would have been like, Oh my gosh, but the majority of them would probably not have even noticed. And she was like, Ah, what do I do now?
0: I'm like. Don't listen to your audiobooks. Just let it go. I hear clunky language when someone else reads it out loud, mm-hmm. and it's always been a while since you wrote it and you know you're kind of distant from it by the time you hear that audiobook. So, anytime I'm like, "Oh, I could have I could have said that better."
2: I I do feel some of that sometimes, but also I get the inverse of it too, where for me, listening to the audiobook is one of the ways that I can help fight off like imposter syndrome. <laughs> because like, you're
0: like that was so good I yeah. did that
2: <laughs> like I went through so many drafts and read through that whole book so many times I was just completely numb to it and the first time I heard it read that way by a professional mm-hmm. that was the first time it felt good again like I was totally on board with it
1: mm-hmm. okay Jan mm-hmm. You're a co-host, you're supposed to be asking questions too.
0: <laughs> oh, I didn't know what how our time was. I got tea delivered and I'm just enjoying tea right now. No, I think was tequila shots the way she's behaving, but it's not. No. I I wanted to, can I can we talk about covers? Is it too soon? I'm looking at his cover and it's so pretty and I want Ooh. to know how how did this happen?
2: <laughs> uh this was uh another moment where the book finally felt real to me uh the first time I saw the cover which was way before the book actually came out uh, my publisher hooked me up with an incredibly talented cover artist um whose name I can't remember right now and I feel very bad about that uh, but it, it that the cover is absolutely everything that I wanted um it just it conveys that that sense of like Mystery and ominousness—just that that kind of foreboding. Something is coming, but what could it be?
0: Tim Barber did your cover design.
2: Tim Barber, thank you, thank you. Yes, he's <laughs>
0: I have. Cover. I have it open. I can see your copyright page. Nice yes, done, he's Tim.
2: done a few different covers for a, a couple of my different friends who also published through Inkshares, and they've all been phenomenal. He's he's truly fantastic uh designer like he I, I feel like I gave him so little to work on because I just I don't have a good mind for a cover art like I can't they they asked me to give them ideas for what I wanted for my cover and I'm like I don't know make it cool and scary
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> sci-fi thriller find something
2: <laughs> yeah I was like blue is a good color for it I mention that color often in the book so that's why my drink is blue Cause it's thematically
1: relevant. That again is really interesting because a lot of authors can get kind of obsessed about the covers like, and be like, no, it needs to have a this kind of keyboard and this sort of ship and this kind of alien. And, and I think sometimes that's great, but I think other times watching somebody bring your art to life is kind of neat. Cause a cover artist is very different than a writer. Like it's a yeah. different kind of artwork, you know?
2: i'm a big fan of a collaborative process like i i had to kind of the same thing when i was talking with andy my my audiobook narrator and she was like asking me if there were any things i wanted to be done specific ways i had like a few but for the most part i was like go where it feels like you should and it's kind of the same way with the the cover art i'm like i don't have your instincts as a visual artist. So I don't want to tell you overly much what you should do with this. Like, here are the things that are important from my point of view, build on them, do whatever seems right to you. Cause I, I think it's important to let people follow their strengths and to recognize where your strengths end. And that's where mine ended is like, okay, here's, here's where I want <laughs> you to go wild with it. That's, that's very
0: so, cool. Yeah, that's so important, I think, as authors to realize they're like the audio book person, that's what they do. Let them let them do their thing. Um, and it's hard because it's your book baby, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, no, it, I, I have a vision for what it should be. But at the same time, like, yeah, it, it's it's good to let people shine and kind of play to their strength. I like it. Cool.
1: Yes. No, totally. And um You know, there's every part of this process has somebody who, um, you know, editing, typesetting, whatever, who has a whole kind of creative thing that needs to lend to enhancing your story and not subtracting from it, right? Yeah. Hey, listeners, you know me, Eric Lance, you're just listening to me in the podcast that you had, but guess what? I'm doing something new. Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncie, the author of the Eerie Florida book series in Erie Appalachia. And we are hosting a new podcast called Eerie Travels. Woo-woo! Eerie Travels, which covers things like ghosts, cryptids, weird stuff, UFOs, men in black, all kinds of fun things that people talk about and I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform or choice, or find us at travels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say?
2: We'll see you on the other side.
1: We're back and tea got delivered, so the world is an
0: okay place. <laughs> um, in my uh, Annette Murphy mug. In your what mug? It's a mug with all the characters from a series by an author called Annette Marie. So I all my little character. Nice.
1: I see. Okay. So I'm just moving on from your ridiculousness. Yeah. <laughs> when we talked earlier, your um, you said your story was aliens in sort of 2001, right? Mm-hmm. What have been your sci-fi influencers? Cause there's really different kinds of sci-fi. And yours sounds pretty hardcore.
2: It's I have probably too many different ones. It's kind of a hodgepodge. Um, okay. It's there's a lot of Arthur C. Clarke in this book. It's 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 kind of that old school style of like exploration focused sci-fi that we don't tend to to see as often these days. Um, but there's also, oh, geez. I've definitely taken some inspiration from Isaac Asimov. Isaac Asimov is actually name dropped literally in this book. They, I basically ripped off his three laws of robotics and like admitted to it in the book. I call them the Asimov Hostetler laws. Um, I modified them a little, so it's not fully played. (laughs) Uh, I also took some inspiration from Andy Weir with the Martian um, that kind of very, very grounded approach to, to science. I tried to have as much scientific realism in there as possible. Like I made a few very specific intentional breaks with like faster and light space travel and stuff. But okay. I, I tried to, for the most part, think of what could these characters do in this scenario that works with actual real life physics um you use real life physics what i tried <laughs> that was another awesome thing my publisher did for me they actually put me in touch with a former nasa physicist to do a scientific accuracy check on the book which was thrilling
1: well uh, i i will say this because you did say hard sci-fi and we talked a lot on the show about that particular genre. And the fans of that particular genre and what happens when you
2: don't do what you're oh yeah yeah i've already gotten some flack in that regard and like you know to a degree you have to make room for the rule of cool a little bit uh if it's cool enough to bend the rules like it i try never to do anything that's fully impossible but i don't mind improbable like improbable is okay with me if it's cool enough yeah if it doesn't break the rules and it still fits in them i can justify it somehow so what if what kind of flack have you gotten to tell Uh, a lot of non-specific stuff just i try not to give too much credence to like one star reviews and stuff like that but a lot of people have have said that uh parts of the book uh are difficult for them to suspend their disbelief of. And that's fine. Uh, I think some of those people are underestimating how weird real science is. Yeah. Because some things that I think they think I made up, I didn't. (laughs) Like science is weird. It's awesome. It's one of the reasons science fiction works so well.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. So you have the five short stories. What is coming up for you?
2: I have all kinds of stuff coming up. My, my next short story, my fifth one, uh, is called Neurophage. And that's coming out in a short story anthology with the Writing Block Collective that I mentioned. Uh, that's coming out, I believe, on May 30th. Uh, it's a short story collection called Passageways Mythos. Okay. And Mythos is uh, that specific anthology. All of the anthologies that writing block have like a, a specific theme that each of the stories is based on. Okay. And the theme for that one is every story in there is some kind of a reimagining of either a fairy tale or a classic myth. And mine is a sci-fi horror uh, reinterpretation of Hansel and Gretel. Oh, Do, I they love
0: die? Do they make it? Why would he give that away? Well, what are you doing?
2: <laughs> How there's...
0: much of a reimagining are we talking here? I guess there's,
2: can... there's death in it. I'll say that. <laughs>
0: okay. okay. I'll take that.
2: It's sci-fi horror. I think I, I earned it.
1: Jen, you already kind of knew the answer to that, right?
0: I know. All... I, I know. I, I read happy ending stuff. So when I'm the terrible person that will flip to the end to see if the characters survive and then if they do, then I'll read it. But if everybody dies, I'm like, oh, man, I don't I, want to meet people about to die.
2: I, I will say I generally, as a general rule, prefer horror stories where at least one person makes it to the end. Like,
1: So I write horror, but I write horror that doesn't have happy endings. That doesn't mean everybody dies, but nobody's coming out of there like everything's fucking fine. Because yeah. when you go through stuff like that everything's not and here's the thing is jm helped me arrive at this determination when i started writing horror 20 something years ago we had a conversation in a car that involved i don't think the story has a happy ending and she was like well sometimes they don't have happy endings and from then on Everyone who writes wants to write reviews about how I punched them in the face, it is J.M. Paquette's fault. You can send her an angry fault. emails.
0: See, the problem is I read so much literature going to school where everyone dies and it's always sad and super depressing. And like the world is doomed and humanity is, you know, terrible and there's no redeeming features ever because it's all, you know, lost. And I just want people to live and, and be happy in my fiction now. What's us on? I know that oh, horror no. has a perfect it has a purpose and it, i I can appreciate it it's just it's not my car <laughs> no,
2: i no. I will say one of the things that drives me to horrors slash thrillers because I tend to think most of my stuff is more of a thriller style than horror style I'm one of the things that drives me to that specific genre is being able to tell stories where one or two of your protagonists, go through absolute hell and still come out intact. I think that's a very hopeful message when they go through something absolutely horrific, but still endure. That's one of the things that draws me to that genre. I don't always do it that way. Sometimes I do have very unhappy endings, but I I do that mostly just to keep it, like keep things mixed up, keep people on their feet. Like if everybody knew how every one of my stories is going to end, there wouldn't be that kind of suspense of like, oh, are they going to make it? Are they going to make it? I don't mm. want to be formulaic.
0: Yeah, that's that's yeah. legit. Cause it, yeah, that makes sense. I should give more horror a chance. I just no. You know what's funny though? You read Stephen King, so I do. Um... And he he likes to kill people, but that's mm. I don't know. I think I read Stephen King because it's just something I do. Like I've my whole life, I read Stephen King, so it's just something that like oh okay. But I just know this one's going to end badly, probably.
1: Do you ever get disappointed? Like you. So for the record, Evan R. A. Salvatore did this to her. So if you're wondering oh, okay. who is who is responsible for doing this to her, it is R. A. Salvatore. So no, that tracks. That tracks. Thank you.
0: Right yeah. when he killed Al Bryan, I was done. Yeah, done. That was the lamest death ever, ever. So now, now I just I don't want, I don't want to go through that again.
1: I get it. And what's very funny about this to me is that she went and met him. Did you have it out with him when you met him, Jeff?
0: No, he he told me all about his new story, and I I he was very nice and friendly, and we had a very lovely like two minute conversation about the characters and how they were all you know his newest book that he was working on was like the kid of the previous characters, and so we talked a lot about uh, about that. So he was very nice. I didn't tell him that he ruined happy endings for me, or not ruined. Ever, happy and ever, endings, you didn't like, say that, I didn't I didn't tell him that. No. So I mean, dude killed Chewbacca. Come on. It's true. Okay. You've got to stop saying that. <laughs> you, you eventually need to
1: let this go. I'm
2: just going to say. I'm it. not over Chewbacca.
0: Right? Anyway, I knew I understand that characters have to die and that that's a thing. I get it. It has its purpose as you said, you know, it gives it gives a chance for those survivors or for the greater good, right, to have hope, right, that the the evil is vanquished for the moment or however. Well,
1: here's the thing though. I think there are some stories and especially like, let's take, he said aliens earlier. Let's take that for a moment. If everyone survived on that ship, it would not have been the same movie as it was with her and the cat at mm-hmm. the end. Right. Because they weren't prepared for it. It was a total shit show in this unknown species. And really they were just junk callers. I mean, that's what they did is went around all junk. They were not prepared. And then in the next movie, even when they were quote unquote prepared, they weren't because they didn't listen to a single single thing she said about what they're going to encounter with one of them. Right. So I think if those movies had had everybody survived and everybody was fine, where do you think we would be now with them?
2: I do think that was the worst thing they did with alien three though, is by killing off. Oh, let's
1: not, let's not
2: bring up alien. Before it even started like that (laughs) illustrates the point even more of like, having newt die was a bad idea
1: well that whole thing was uh i hope sigourney weaver regrets that i enjoy sigourney weaver but she was the one that kind of went to them and said um that she thought she didn't want to do anything with guns so they had to come up with a whole entire thing that didn't involve guns Hmm just in case anyone's wondering what happened there. So that was terrible anyway. Okay. Moving back. So um, what is your next book? Are you writing another one in this particular series?
2: I am. My next book that I'm working on right now um, is called Proteus and it is set in the same series. It's a uh, totally different plot line with totally different characters, like everything else in there. Uh, it's right. also technically, a science fiction adaptation of Richard the Third. So that's complicated.
0: That's amazing. I was Thank gonna you. say, Jen, you I know you have comments, <laughs> I'm just thinking of, of how you could do that. That's really cool.
2: It's uh so the main character is basically my my Richard the Third, and he's instead of being a hunchback with a withered arm, he's a cyborg with a Robotic arm and he's, uh, he's a, instead of being a, 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 a noble, a royal, uh, uh, someone who's trying to work his way up to the, the throne, he's a war veteran who is basically trying to take over, uh, this ship. The whole story takes place on this massive multi-generational colony ship where, half of the crew has committed mutiny and they're trying to turn the ship around and he's on the loyalist side of it he's trying to keep the ship on target. So there's the whole conflict is basically him trying to keep the mission going straight because when they arrive at the destination, he's supposed to be the leader of this new colony and he doesn't want that taken from him. So there's a lot of complex stuff going on in it, uh, there's multiple point of view characters. I'm expanding some of the roles from the original play and combining them, flipping them. My, uh, I'm en- enhancing my Richmond character. Uh, she's a woman. She was a previously part of his detachment in the military. And she kind of represents the good side of what a soldier should be as a peacekeeper, where he is the bad side of a soldier as a warmonger. And so she's kind of his, his bright mirror, um, lots, lots of stuff like that. There, there's a whole lot going on. I'm, I'm doing all kinds of uh, complex literary stuff with it.
0: So your first book was AI. Was that inspired by something else? Like why AI?
2: Well, it's there, the whole series, I call it the calling void because that it's taken directly from a specific phrase. Um, in, in French, it's called l'appel du vide, which literally means the call of the void. And it's, yep, it's that term for when you're <laughs> sitting on a high place and you look down and you get that instant thought of, I should jump. And it's, that's, I'm kind of transposing that to our, our view of like space travel, of it is a bad place for people to be. <laughs> It's, it wants to kill you. It's not inhabitable. It's the most uninhabitable place in the world. But we want to go there. And there's that mystery of what will happen if I go out here? What will happen if I do this? And we know we shouldn't, but we want to. And it's that kind of enticing idea of, like, what if we go out there? I, just, I love that the unknown has this mixture of dread and enticement. And that's kind of what the whole series is about. And it's basically just kind of showing how humanity is constantly just on the very precipice of self-annihilation. And it's usually our own fault in some way or another. But we still just manage to just edge along, just kind of like inching past oblivion. So that's what this story is about. Like, Tantalus Steps was all about this unknown world full of alien mysteries this rogue AI that could potentially cause our annihilation, uh, this secret alien megastructure of this planet that's not actually a planet. It's an artificial construct built thousands of years ago by a civilization we've never encountered and we don't know anything about it. Just exploring the unknown, even if it could be our annihilation is the main theme of that one. But for Proteus, it's a much more of a kind of, personal threat of like what kind of atrocities could humanity cause in this vaster setting? Like, mm-hmm. cause Jacob, the, the main character in Proteus is an absolute monster. He's a, he's a horrible, horrible man. He's a fascistic, warmongering, monstrosity of a man. And he carves a bloody swath through this crew of this ship and initially he's kind of held up as a hero he's he gets kind of the war hero treatment but he's like as the story unveils more and more of his actual personality we see more and more of how much of him is just irredeemable evil
1: i i enjoy irredeemable evil <laughs> i'm a fan <laughs>
2: Me too. Okay.
1: So, what are your? So you you published this book. Do you have any specific like writing goals for yourself? Like this is what I want to be because we talked earlier. You got a, a huge convention circuit you're doing this year, mm. which you'll give me. You gave me your website, so I'm sure that'll be listed on there yes. so that people can find you. But um, what now that you've done this? Now that you've got these five stories, you're working on the second book. What is like now you're envisioning as your sort of writing journey?
2: I have a bunch more books planned in this series that I plan to to work through. Um, I kind of I I really want to I'm just fascinated by this specific kind of sub sub genre of science fiction where it's like thriller, horror elements, mystery, uh, just Exploring that is, is kind of my main thing. If, eventually I'll, I'll branch out into other uh, genres. I have some interest in doing fantasy or maybe more lighthearted space opera style science fiction at some point in time. But like for now, I, I really want to focus on, on the Calling Void series and fleshing it out. I know already how it's going to end. Because um, even though it is an anthology series, there is kind of a, a meta arc going on from book 1 to the final book. I don't know every step along the way, but I do know the the final destination. And I just want to kind of expand this world more and more with more short stories and novels, um just build 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 on it and and go deeper into it and kind of explore it till I'm satisfied and then keep moving on to to other different kinds of projects once I feel like I've done enough with this one. I don't want to labor it too much, and and just kind of dwell on it past the point where I feel like it's it's said everything it has to say. But I, I think I can do a lot more with it for sure.
1: Very cool, very cool. So when is the ETA for book two? Do we do we have a publication date? Inquiring minds that like this kind of horror sci fi stuff want to know. Uh, that would be me, not Jen. In case you're guessing on this call, which one of us? We're I can
0: appreciate the the book.
1: That's I. He said Shakespeare. You can't jump on the bandwagon now because he said Shakespeare. That's,
0: I'm very interested in the sci-fi thriller retelling of Shakespeare's Richard III. That's amazing.
2: I'll take it. <laughs> uh, I I should have an ETA on it. I wish I did. I'm so bad at making deadlines for myself. My goal is to finish writing it and have it go through my beta readers and have it submitted to my publisher by the end of this year. But I don't know. Don't hold me to that. I'm so far behind already with that goal. So
0: can we ask like, what's your writing process? How, how do you, how do you get it done?
2: This one is different because there's a lot I have to do with it specifically as an adaptation. Yeah. where I have to structure my approach very differently than I normally do. Like normally, like I am a plotter as opposed to a pantser where I, I focus more on the plot and planning everything out beforehand. But for this one, like if I want to call it an adaptation of Richard the Third, there are certain plot points from Richard the Third that I have to hit. And I don't want to hit them all like head on. I want some of them to be twists. I want some of them to play out differently than they do in the original. So I have to kind of decide what the best way to go is like, do I play this scene straight? Do I play this as its own opposite? Do I like, how do I handle it and everything? And like, especially when I'm combining certain characters, expanding other characters, trying to, to reframe it in, in different ways. So I've already got like 20 pages of notes, like solid pages of notes just for structuring it out. And it's not enough. Like I know I need to do more than that.
1: Wow. That is my entire book that I would write. So
2: <laughs> It's more than I normally do. It like just I've I'm overly ambitious for this specific project and I probably won't do it again. But I think when it's done it'll be pretty cool.
0: See, but I know who lives and dies, so I'm in. <laughs> well, hopefully if you uh- if you oh. follow the story, <laughs> which will be fun to see.
2: Some
0: some like of that. them. Some of them. Some, some of them. them. Okay. Right. I'll take it. Hello, Drinking
1: with Authors fans. This is your host, Erica Lance. Because of the change of the format of the show, welcome to the Literary Briefs portion. Enjoy. Evan, we are going to ask you some rapid fire questions. Do you feel at all prepared for this?
2: No, go ahead.
1: Perfect. It didn't matter. It was going to happen anyway. I just thought I'd see if there was a confidence there. What is your favorite book of all time?
2: Uh, My opinion on that changes constantly, but I think for now I will go with Stephen King's from a Buick 8.
0: Interesting. Why that one?
2: It's my favorite one of his books. It's, It's got this wonderful mixture of the mundane and the weird that I just really, really like.
0: Okay. it's the vampire in the grocery store kind of feeling like mm-hmm. that
2: kind of yeah
0: like it's the ordinary but there's something super nice, just sprinkled in yeah
2: i i like it for the same reason that i like stranger things it's kind of that that specific vibe i have to give stranger things a lot of credit
0: one
1: they did complete almond to the 80s i don't think when i saw that shopping mall i was like I shopped at that shopping mall for Stranger Things, like it one for one had stuff in it. And my other half, maybe a little bit younger than me, completely legal, but younger than me and didn't grow up in the 80s. And um, and he was born in the 90s. So let's all like rein it in. But um, early 90s. Um, but he was like, I was like, and that store did this, and that store did this, and there was a, <laughs> he was like, oh my God, they did that. Did you consult for them? I'm like, I could have. Like, <laughs> seriously, where's my limited express? That was the only thing I didn't see. Anyway, seriously, right? Okay. um, What is your least favorite book of all time?
2: Uh, I might get some flack for this because for reasons that entirely elude me, it is extremely popular in certain portions of the world. but. It's a long way to a small angry planet by Becky Chambers. I feel has no right to exist.
1: Okay, I've never read it, but now I shan't. So Don't. that's fine. I'm already going to get all the hate mail about the Doctor Who thing. So you're, I think you're going to be safe through this. Like in the piss off fan
2: clubs, I bet the one I'm pissing off is bigger than the one you're off. It has a big fan base for some reason, but it has no plot. So I don't understand what they like about it.
1: No, that makes sense. Okay. What about if you could be any of your characters, who would you be? Uh, uh,
2: Setting aside (laughs) that so many of them die, uh, if I could be one of my characters and survive for sure, I... mm, I would probably want to be, gosh, I want to be Hollis Rook. He's a character in Tantalus Depths who is a space miner, and he's a wisecracker. He's kind of, kind of the class clown on the crew, um, but he's also had the chance to uh, work with lasers on IO and other hazardous mining locations across the galaxy. I think that'd be fun.
1: Very cool. What about if you could be in any um, literary world, what world would you go to?
2: Mm. Uh, If I could go to any world... (sighs) Mm.
1: Or universe? Is it a pantheon? No, that's a god thing, right? That's okay. I've had a
2: little...
0: Multiverse.
2: Multiverse. Uh, I'd probably go to... I, I gotta go with what where my inner child would want to go, and that is Star Wars, specifically the original Legends Expanded Universe continuity.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Jen, who is your favorite Star Wars character? HK47. Why?
2: Because he's a crazy homicidal robot and he sleep. has just a fun personality. He That's takes fair. great joy in what he does, and what he does is mostly killing people.
1: See, my answer changed after a certain series came out because I think it kind of destroyed the character for me. And, you know, it it rhymes with pet.
2: So, one of the many, many reasons that the original Expanded Universe continuity is better.
1: Yeah, I have to say, um, did you watch Alderaan? Was it Alderaan? No. Endor. Um, endor
2: i didn't but people keep telling me i should
1: i have to say i was actually very impressed with it the way i was with rogue one like i thought they did a great job with rogue one and like this side thing and like you know what i mean like it's it's a tale in itself right like they told it plus there's a lot of the stars in there that i just absolutely love no matter what Mm. and um I have to say, Endor, they I think that what sucks is they're not renewing it, but I think the way they did that was kind of brilliant because I think the biggest problem with Star Wars, and then I'm going to get off this and go back to you because I could do this for hours. For me, it's people versus George Lucas. If you've never watched that documentary, if you're one like me, mm-hmm. it is the thing that will calm you the fuck down. But it is that we have Complete expectations for some of these characters. So when they take some of these characters and try to do something with them, if it's not done really, really well, I fucking hate it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, I thought The Mandalorian, besides a couple of episodes not going to go down this path, was really well done. Actually, I had fun with it. But fucking the book of Boba Fett should have been thrown out of fucking plane window. <laughs> and that should have been the end of the fucking book of Boba Fett. Anyway, I have feelings on this. Jen, ask a different question, or I'm going to keep going down my thyroid point.
0: <laughs> what was the last show you binge watched?
2: The last show I binge watched. Uh, uh, oh, I there's a show on Netflix. I want to make sure I get it right. I'll look it up real fast. It was an animated show, uh, I believe it was called Exception. Uh, it was like a mini series that was very well done. It's a sci-fi series. Um, yeah, I got it right. It's called exception, uh, on Netflix and it's, it's just a a very beautifully done kind of anime inspired, uh, sci-fi series about kind of, it involves stuff like transhumanism and interesting sci-fi, uh, things but it also explores character and and identity in a very interesting way that I, I really really liked. So I, I watched the whole thing in like two sittings <laughs> that's
1: awesome that's my problem with binging now is I will I will if I like it I will just stay up and watch the whole entire
2: thing it's the only way I can watch anything I haven't watched the last of us yet because I'm specifically waiting for the final episode to come out because I know I want to watch it all in one go
1: yeah. I, when we, when we got into it here, we watched, there were four episodes out and I love that they do these shows now in varying sizes with enough to tell the story they want to tell. Yes, They're not like 42 minutes and that's all you've got. Right. So. Um, okay. Next question. You could be any sci-fi creature. Normally I say fantastical, but I want you to do sci-fi. What sci-fi creature would you be?
2: I want to be a predator.
1: Okay, but which one? Cause give me a break here on the predator thing. Which which version?
2: Uh, I'll I'll be. Are I'll you be, going OG? I I want to say the OG, but I think I'll go with the one from Prey.
1: I knew you were gonna.
2: Say, I think yeah, I'll go with the one I from knew Prey. It. He had style, and he, he fought did. a bear.
1: you know what's interesting to me is when they portray the predators with so much ego Mm -hmm. you know what i mean because i i feel like that is like a pivotal and then i'm going to ask a next question off of this trope for sci-fi bad guys right Mm -hmm. is do they think they're the most badass thing in the room because that's what trips them up so badly it like aliens they don't think that because i don't think they think that way. I mean, obviously the queen, whatever, but they have like a goal, like we're going to find things to keep procreating. Like that's their Mm -hmm. sort of thing. They don't just kill you. They, it's really funny because they don't want to just kill you. They want to keep you alive yeah, so that they can use you. Right. Um, But when they make these bad guys that have that, you know, he got outsmarted by a girl and a dog, like, you know, that's what you get for being in Cisco. Mm. anyway hashtag just gave away the endings Spoiler alert. <laughs> okay so what are your favorite tropes in a story
2: what tropes you really enjoy oh, i really enjoy tropes where hmm, it's hard to think because it's, it's easier to think of the the bad ones the ones that frustrate me than the ones that are good because when the good ones are there you don't even necessarily notice them all the time mm-hmm. i think one of my favorite tropes is i don't know if you can call it a trope but kind of the um the found family aspect of sci-fi where you where you have a group of misfits who all get together and fit in all their awkward ways they find a way to, to work together you have that in every kind of genre but in sci-fi you can really explore how that works with like some of the members of your band of random people it might be different species or they could be robots or they could be from a different planet where the sky is yellow or whatever and they can just kind of really go and explore the furthest extents of that and make it really work I agree
1: I think our story should be written with a character that literally adds nothing and takes away nothing from the group but it's just there mm-hmm. I don't think that character is expanded upon enough you know what I mean They're like the just- <laughs> narrator Not even the one telling the story, the one that just happens to be there for some reason. I think that can't get played enough. Okay, Um, what is um, what series um, like TV series or movie do you think they did a very good adaptation of a book for?
2: That would easily be The Expanse. Um, I -hmm. think that's it was a it's definitely one of the best sci fi series book wise and TV-wise we've had in the past couple of decades, like it it managed to be both. Like the book series was fantastic and the, the, the video series that was on Sci-Fi Channel originally and on Amazon Prime the last few seasons is even better. Um, just the extent of the world building, the casting, uh, just the visuals, every single thing they did worked.
1: Yeah. No, I agree with you on that. Um, what about where they did a terrible job?
2: I'm gonna go with the Hobbit. I it's, don't think
1: that's a bad thing to go with.
2: It's a low-hanging fruit, but man, I it disappointed me so much. I, I, I feel like it's probably been driven into the dust, but that that one. Didn't need to be as bad as it was. And it had so many good moments and those good moments just made me even angrier because they could have been in a better movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think they made it too big as as Jen is a token token enthusiast. What is the word for what you are, Jen? There's got to be a fancy word for your tokenness
0: you can say you're a tolkien scholar if you really want to be but i haven't published an article in a while so i don't know that i can say that anymore it's been it's been a bit i still teach it though so okay um yeah i oh my god i had a question what what is your favorite non-science fiction story
2: non-science fiction story um i really like I mean, Lord of the Rings is easy to to pick out of nowhere because that's just what we were just talking about, but I feel like that's cheating. Um, I really enjoyed... uh, I sound like a doofus who can't think of anything. Um,
0: Like, what's your guilty pleasure? What's something you were like, oh, I didn't think I'd like this, but this is actually pretty decent.
2: I I recently... Okay, now I know what it is now. Um, I recently came to really enjoy... Uh, a series called Warlock Holmes, and I literally picked it up purely because of the title. and Here's It is magic. It is literally just that, and it's like it's told in kind of the standard, like uh the the it's it's told very much in the the style of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, like the original books, and it's Watson kind of going over his interactions with Warlock Holmes, who is just Sherlock Holmes, but instead of being a genius detective. He's a literal warlock who uses magic and he uses magic to solve crimes. And Watson's job is to try and make it seem like he's not using magic. So he's the one who like rationalizes everything and describes it as like a scientific method when it literally is just magic.
1: I love that.
0: Uh, Jen is Googling it right now. I can Oh, I just added it to my, like this is going to my cart right now.
2: It's a lot of fun. I literally did just buy it just for the title alone. Like that was enough to sell me.
1: Pretty brilliant. Pretty brilliant. What's your favorite weird food combination?
2: Um, I probably will never be able to eat it again because it would probably kill me. But when I was a kid, I used to do this thing where I would take cheap, nasty cheese whiz and like the cheapest, nastiest processed ham lunch meat. And I would put them on saltine crackers and I would microwave it. And it was delicious, it's probably shortened my lifespan by two or three years, (laughs) but I would eat that all the time as a kid.
1: I think there are many things we all ate as children that probably shortened our lifespan. I don't know about you guys, but one of my favorite things on Saturday morning would be to grab the boxes of cereal, a big bowl, and the milk, and go sit out on the couch and just keep feeling the cereal bowl (laughs) up as I watch cartoons random cereal whatever was there four or five boxes just bring it mix it together it was fine
0: see i ate it dry just like like out of the box i would just eat it
1: who are you you weirdo
0: (laughs) i like the marshmallows they're the best um what was the first uh album music album that you bought for yourself
2: oh that is challenging to answer I've never been a huge music person like it's just never okay. been a huge part of my life it was probably some I literally can't even remember because it was just what kind of music do you like if anymore. you had
0: to pick music to listen to what would you listen to
2: these days when I when I listen to music it's usually to try and like psych myself up to start writing so I can't listen to anything when I do that that has lyrics because I'll start thinking about the words and then I can't write words. So I usually go with uh, instrumentals, usually like uh, really kind of high energy instrumentals. So I'll often go with like movie soundtracks or there's this group of orchestral performance called Two Steps From Hell that they do a lot of that kind of epic music Mm -hmm. that's orchestral and they they do like trailer music and stuff. I can listen to several of their different songs like just to energize myself.
0: YouTube has those eight hours of epic music that has a lot of those in it. Yeah. I have to say, I'm going to look it up real quick, but
1: this person turned me on to, um, hold on, I'm going to find it, uh, this music and it's um, like,
0: what the hell is it called? Oh my God. I have a question while you're looking that up. Yeah, you can ask a question. Do you have any tattoos? I do not. If you were to get one, what would it be of?
2: Hard to say. I've never really thought about it. I would probably want to get something ironic. Something something that like makes a statement, but more makes a statement about the idea of making statements.
0: This is uh, not a pipe kind of yes.
2: stuff. Yes. So, something like that. Something that people would look at it and think they understood it and then look at it again and realize they don't understand it and then look at it a third time and then like oh, okay I get it and then make decisions about who they think I am as a person.
1: Cryo Chamber. Cryo Chamber. Cryo Chamber. It is really interesting um, and it goes from fast stuff to kind of slower stuff but it's very horror sci fi kind of music like to write to so cryo chamber if you're definitely well it's the dark
0: ambient lists yeah yeah it's that's
1: that's what it is and but it's it's really i don't know i found it somebody mentioned it on the show i forget who you are because i have had a lot of blackberry wine now (laughs) but thank you for that because i listen to it all the time when i'm writing now
2: I should definitely do that because cryo chambers factor prominently in Proteus. So I should. Oh, so
1: There you go. Cryo yeah. chamber. They do an amazing job. They have sometimes live streams where they're live streaming the playlist, but it's not words. So um, you do have to hide it though, because a lot of people comment as they're live streaming it. So you just have to like that tab needs to go behind another tab. Yeah. Because otherwise you start reading what they're saying. At least I do. Um, okay. Okay question describe your perfect writing environment
2: A uh, sensory deprivation chamber i get distracted extremely easily by just any kind of noise or visual stimulus so if i could be in one of those rooms they use to store like electronics parts where it's like a, a clean lab where there's like foam padding on all the walls and there's just absolutely no sound and there's nobody in the room but you and it's just a completely quiet sterile environment that'd probably be the most productive I could possibly be.
1: One could set up one's closet that way. Just saying.
2: I've done an awful lot of writing in the bathroom.
1: I believe that I believe that. Okay. What about um if you could travel anywhere like cost is not a brave like you could boom, you could go. Where would you go?
2: I think it would be cool to go to, I, I know I'd probably actually hate it if I was there, but I kind of would like to just see like a real primal jungle like somewhere in Brazil or the Congo or something like that. Somewhere where it's just super deep into a, a really thick old jungle and just kind of sit there and like just listen to nature and animals and things be like way that too
1: hot and human for me
2: it'd be too hot there'd be bugs i wouldn't like being there but thinking about
1: it <laughs> the idea of it i is like the concept well i think a lot of people like the idea of going places and then they go places and then they realize especially people who don't pay attention to weather patterns for some of these places yeah. Like, there are some beautiful places. I'm going to Scotland and Ireland in the fall. There are some absolutely beautiful places. There are times a year that it is just foggy and wet and, like, not a pleasant experience.
0: Those were the best days in Scotland. Okay. Now. Says the person who can't be outside in the sun. Yeah.
2: Fog is on the moors.
0: It was so pretty. It was cold. It was wonderful.
2: Okay, yeah, whenever. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, Jad, questions. Um, Come on. What are you what are you reading right now?
2: Uh right now I am reading the Three-Body Problem series by Shi Shen Liu. Are
0: you reading are you a reader of paper books or do you read e- e-books? Like where are you on that?
2: I almost exclusively read audiobooks because oh, okay. I have ADHD and it is very difficult for me to focus on an actual piece of physical literature I hate that I'm so bad at reading because I, I love books but it takes me forever to get through them just because I get distracted so easily
0: so how do you pick your next book
2: uh one of the reasons I'm reading that one specifically is because I was told that it's very kind of in line with what I'm doing and, and I have one of the pieces of advice I regularly get as an author is that you should read similar things to what you write so i sought that out specifically because it's hard sci-fi also that kind of fits in the same kind of tone neighborhood as what i write but i also like i i can't do that all the time because as much as i like dark sci-fi it is depressing to read too much of it at once so every once in a while i got to throw something warmer happier in there too so i'll i'll mix in something that's more lighthearted or fantasy so i can kind of do a palette cleanse from all the hard science and everything like that. So it's kind of that's kind of how it is for me. I I alternate between stuff that's very much in my genre and stuff that kind of is far enough away from it while still having a lot of the same things up from it that I like to kind of keep me interested but also keep things mixed up and different.
0: Will you follow an a narrator from book to book or do you go by author?
2: I I can do both. Um I recently started listening to, um, a bunch of Peter Klein's books, um, which I believe are narrated by Ray Porter. I should look that up. That sounds um, familiar. I think they are, but I was listening to those and then I jumped straight from those to, um, Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir, which is also kind of in the same kind of hard sci-fi genre but it was also narrated by the same author narrator and like I really like his style like he has a very good delivery that I think is very fun um but I also follow specific authors if I read something by an author who I really really like I'll I'll follow them onto their next one
1: very cool okay so final question which author would you like to have lunch with it doesn't matter if they're living or dead they won't be a zombie when they have lunch with you
2: I want to have lunch with HP Lovecraft and I want to have a good long conversation with him about just kind of asking how he decides how he's going to write his horror and kind of get to pick his brain on all his techniques and then spend the second half of it explaining critical race theory to him.
1: oh I love that okay okay Tim what's self promotion time where do people find you in your books because we're not going to top that
2: hey, you can find me on my website at www.evangram.org. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at author Evan Graham and you can find me on Twitter at Evan M. Graham
1: perfect you have been so much fun to have on this podcast thank you for being here
2: thank you for having me
1: Absolutely. Guys, this has been Drinking with Authors, the Literary Briefs edition. Do not forget to like, subscribe, leave us a comment, leave us a review, tell your friends about it, send us underwear in the mail. Don't do that. That's weird. That got Uh, weird. Okay, never mind. Send J.M. Paquette underwear. Obviously, she likes
2: that idea. You can send me underwear if it's clean. It'll help me with my laundry.
1: Where the hell was I? Oh, I've been your host, <laughs> Erica Lance. This is what happens when I drink. Don't mess up my spiel because I don't get very much.
2: My host okay. today
1: has been J.M. Paquette. Our guest has been Evan Grimm. And we will see you guys next time.